for over 49 years now, 49 years, I've been able to preach sometime at Christmas, sometimes a series. Uh, first few years before I pastored, it was just a single message at my home church. But to preach about this wonderful story, and I'm thankful that the story is still the same, and the truth is still the same. If you preach politics, you're going to be disappointed because that changes. If you preach about the economy, that's going to change. But if you preach about Christ, the message is the same. And I'm grateful and thankful. I invite you to turn again with us this morning to 1 John chapter 4. And this is part 3 of our Christmas message this year entitled, God Sent His Son. And this comes from 1 John chapter 4. And although John's theme in this chapter is discerning the love of God and how love is one of the proofs of our salvation, John uses the word sent. We have been looking at that for the past couple messages. The word sent, which is an incarnation word. It's a word that takes us back to the purpose of God sending Christ into the world. And John just, in three point-blank statements in, these, in this text, tells us three reasons that God sent Christ. There are others, but John touches on three truths that are directly connected with the incarnation of our Lord and Savior. We begin reading in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. The fact that God sent His Son into the world is one of many evidences that Jesus Christ was already in existence. There is doctrine and there is opinion today that Jesus Christ was a created being of God like an angel. That is, of course, false doctrine. That is heresy. But there are those who believe that. There are those who believe that Christ was born into the world and later became God. But 
We know from Scripture that He is God, always has been God, and always will be God according to the Word of God. But the fact that God sent His Son into the world is just another of the many evidences that Jesus Christ was already in existence. He had to be for God to be able to send Him. He was not a created being. The coming of our Lord into the world was not an afterthought of God. It was not because man was standing here in the world looking up into heaven and saying, God, do something. God, send something. God, show up in our world. No, it was God who took the initiative. Before man ever knew he needed Christ, God had already provided salvation. We saw in the first message from verse number 9 that God sent His Son that we might live through Him. If you have Christ, you have life. If you do not have Christ, you have no life. You may be living physically, but you are not living spiritually. God, according to verse 9 of our text, sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. We were spiritually dead in sin, as is every sinner. There was no relationship between us and God. So God sent His Son into the world in order that we might live. We needed life, and only Christ could bring us that life. And because of the incarnation, because of Christ's coming, because of God sending Him, dead sinners like you and I can have life, and we can have that life more abundantly. Secondly, last Sunday evening, we looked at verse number 10, the second reason that God sent His Son into the world, and that is to be the propitiation for our sins. You may better recognize the word propitiation if I use the word atonement. That is the gospel that God, out of His love, sent Jesus Christ into this world. He sent Him into this world to be the sacrifice for our sins, to be the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfied forever the wrath of God and the justice of God. By virtue of our sinfulness, by virtue of our sin, we justly deserved and would have justly received eternal damnation, separated from God, and we would have been under His wrath for all eternity. But thank God that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe and all who would come to Him. There's no more war between the sinner and God. We are at peace with God, not through our own works, but through the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to verse number 14 this morning, where John uses the word sent for the third time in this particular section of his epistle. And he says that we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son and then he makes another statement, as he has in the previous verses, to be the Savior of the world. He says he sent his Son that we might live. He sent his Son to be our atonement. And he also sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Just one final reminder this morning, the word sent means that the Savior was dispatched from heaven. He was sent by God the Father. He was sent out from heaven. He was sent out on a mission. He was sent with an objective. 
And as I've mentioned in the previous two messages, that the tense of this word sent signifies the permanent effect of the sending of the Son. I used, I think, in the first message an illustration that there are things that are sent to me that never arrive. There are things that I send to others that never accomplish the purpose for which they were sent. But there is no ineffectiveness with the sending of God's Son into this world that we might live. It is an effective. It affects men. The sending of God's Son is not a lost cause. It may be a lost cause for those who reject the Son of God, but the sending of God's Son has the effect of giving life, and it has the effect of atoning for those who will believe, and it has the effect that Christ this morning, as was just sung about, He is our Savior and the Savior of the world. Christ was not sent in vain. That is what John is telling us. Now, if you notice in verse 9 and 10, John refers to God sending His only begotten Son. And then in verse number 14, he changes the statement to the Father. I don't profess to know exactly why John makes this particular change from God sending His Son, God sending His Son, to the Father sending His Son. And every commentary I read, I didn't really... Uh, didn't really see anything that they added to it to make me know exactly why, but for whatever reason, John now refers to the Father. I think part of the reason that he did, does this is because it was John who wrote in his gospel about this unique relationship that the Father had with the Son. God sent His Son to give life. God sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice and now John is saying that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I think John wants us to embrace uh, and recognize the Father who sent the Son into the world. Christmas is certainly about Jesus Christ. The light is on Him. The focus is on Him. He is the virgin-born Son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the light that we read about in Isaiah a while ago. He is the one sent. He is a son given, a child born. He is all of that. But I want to remind you this morning that He would never have arrived in Bethlehem had the Father not sent Him. He never would have atoned for our sins had not the Father uh, planned that and purposed that. We would not have life this morning had not the Father given us life through His Son. So when you think about Christmas, not only about the Son, but think about the Father. There is this unique relationship between the Father and the Son. If you want to turn back a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible, or if you're electronic, swipe, or whatever it is you do with that. But back in Hebrews 10, you may, you may remember a few years ago I preached on a Christmas message from Hebrews chapter number 10, Jesus always magnified the Father. He always magnified the relationship between the Father and the Son. And John did that as well. And the Hebrew writer does it here in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 5 through verse 9. And if you remember, I preached a message from this particular passage on Christmas Eve in heaven, what was going on on Christmas Eve before Christ was incarnated and came to this world. But look at Hebrews 10 and verse 5. 
Wherefore, when He, that's talking about Jesus, cometh into the world, He, that word He's talking about Jesus, He saith. Now, who's He talking to? He's talking to God the Father in heaven. The Hebrew writer is telling us what they were talking about. This is what Jesus is saying to the Father in heaven. Sacrifice and offering, thou, that's referring to God, wouldest not, but a body has thou, that's talking about God, prepared me. They are talking in heaven about the body that God the Father prepared for Jesus when He was incarnated and came to this world. There's a unique relationship in the, that continues on. I'm not going to read all of it, but in verse 7, Then said I, lo, I come, that's Jesus in the volume of the book, It is written of me to do thy will, O God. There was this conversation between the Father and the Son. The incarnation, Christmas, the sending of God's Son into the world is about the Father and the Son. Now the Holy Spirit's involved in it too, in the, in the conception and in the arrangement of all the details down here upon this earth, all of that, yes, but the Father and the Son. So back here in 1 John 4, 14, John said, We, we apostles, we apostles have seen... And we testify, we give an accurate account in Him that He is in us. They said, we give an accurate account that the Father has sent the Son. How did they know that? How did John and the apostles, how did they have an accurate record? They had it from two sources. They had it from the Scriptures of the Old Testament, but they also had it from the very teachings of the Incarnate One. They had it from the very Word of God, the living Word of God, who communicated truth to them as He ministered in their presence. John had no doubt that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I am not an apostle. I have not seen the risen Christ. I have never spoken to the risen Christ. I have never had the, the risen Christ speak to me as I am speaking to you. But I have a more sure word of prophecy. I have the very word of God that tells us this morning that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And He was sent here by God the Father. Listen to some scripture which shows how Jesus magnified the relationship between the Father and the Son. And listen to these verses about how He referred to the sending the sending of Him into the world. Matthew 10, verse number 40, speaking to His followers, Jesus said, He that receiveth you, talking to His apostles, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. Luke 10, 16, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. John 5, verse 36 and 37, For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me, and the Father Himself which sent me hath borne witness of me. Jesus is wanting men to know the Father sent Him. John 17, verse 20 and 21, as Jesus is now praying and talking to His heavenly Father, He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast 
sent me. Jesus is saying again, I want my disciples to live in unity so a lost world will look at that church and understand that you sent me. You sent me to be the Savior of the world. Finally, listen to John 6, verse 38 through 40. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Now you could have written any of those verses and left out the phrase, sent me, and accomplished the very same thing. But Jesus repeatedly stressed that, and He repeatedly talked about that when He was teaching and preaching. He wanted the world to know that the Father had sent Him. Fast forward a few years, fast forward past the suffering crucifixion, fast forward past the death, burial, resurrection, fast forward past the ascension, and open up 1 John in his epistle, and John says this, We have seen and do testify. John said, I saw it with my own eyes, and I'm able to give accurate record. I heard him teach it out of his own mouth. The Father has sent him. I'm not an apostle, and neither are you. But we have this sure Word of God that tells us this morning that the Father sent His Son, that we could have life, that we could have our sins atoned for, and that He sent His Son to be our Savior and the Savior of the world. Let this go on the record, that there is a record. And the record says... That God the Father sent His Son. Preacher, what about the skeptics and the agnostics and those who profess to be atheists, who deny that there is a God and who deny that if there is a God that He ever had a Son. And if He had a Son, He wasn't equal with God, but He was a created being. And if He was a created being and came here, He couldn't really do anything but just give us a good example. What do you say to all of them? I say that we have a record. And I believe the record that says that God the Father sent His only begotten Son to be the Savior of the world. And by faith, I believe that record. By faith, I believe what the Word of God says. And that is why we have peace. And that is why we have joy. God the Father sent His Son. So Jesus was sent by the Father to carry out the Father's will. He came to do the Father's will. In other words, the Lord Jesus wants us to recognize the Father who sent Him. Don't ever forget that. And it's all right to worship Christ. We're supposed to. That's what we're supposed to do. But don't ever forget that it was the Father who sent Him. Christ did not just get up on His own and decide He was coming. He came according to the will of of the Father. That's the design of incarnation. Christmas is not only about the coming of the Son. Thank God it's about the sending of the Father. Notice in verse number 14, He came to be Savior. He came to be Savior of the world. The word Savior there, the Greek word, 
soter. It refers to the agent of deliverance. It means the Savior, one who brings salvation, one who comes to rescue, one who comes to preserve. God sent us a Savior. The world is clamoring for someone to be a legislator, for someone to be a, uh, some kind of a leader. The world's looking for an educator. The world's looking for a rehabilitator. The, wor- the world is looking for all of them other kind of things. God didn't send this world a legislator, though He was completely just. God didn't send this world an educator, though He taught better than any man ever taught. God sent this world what it needed, and that was a Savior. He sent us exactly what we needed, and that was a Savior. In the Roman world, in Jesus' day, and still in the days of John, the Romans looked upon their emperor as Savior, would often call them Savior, in that he held mankind together under the confines and dictates of the Roman power and the Roman government. And if you lived under that, then that Savior, that emperor, he would provide what peace and order that he could. But could I ask you today, as great as Rome was, where is Rome? Where is the great Roman Empire? It's where every other government and where every other thing man ever built is. It's in the ashes for the most part, like every other government will be. Uh, Physicians in this particular day who healed others in the Greek culture were often referred to as saviors because they brought some type of deliverance from disease or some type of rescue from physical or emotional bondage. We sometimes, you don't hear as much now, but I remember years ago coming up and and somebody come to help a family in need and they would use the word. They would actually say, boy, boy, the, the church became my savior or my neighbor become my savior. They didn't mean anything bad about that. What they meant was, They came to my rescue, they brought deliverance, they provided what we needed for the predicament that we were in. Well, Christ came, God sent His Son to be the Savior, not a weak Roman emperor, not a physician whose whose skills are limited and can only provide certain things. He had no power, no physician that I know of has power over death except the great physician, the very Savior of the world, and certainly no emperor of Rome and no physician or no neighbor or no one else who brings rescue of any kind. No one else could handle the curse of sin. But thank God Jesus did. The Father sent Him to be the Savior of the world. In our text this morning, this word Savior refers to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will find God referring to Himself as Savior in places because He and Christ are one. You will hear others refer to God and Christ as Savior. Listen to these. 1 Timothy 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 1 Timothy 2.3 This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Titus 1.3, But hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Titus 2.10, Not forlorning, but showing all fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
Titus 3, 4, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior. In Jude 1, 25, Now uh, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. It's okay to refer to God as Savior because He's referred to in Scripture as Savior. But in this text, John wants you to see that it was the Father who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Luke 2.11 captures it. For unto you, the angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They needed a Savior. We need a Savior tonight or today. This is what our world needs. It's what men need. It's what some of you need. It's what our family needs. Our family needs a Savior. And Christ is that Savior. Acts 5.31, Him, speaking of Christ, hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a Savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 13.22, Of this man's seed hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. He is the Savior. The Father sent the Son that He should be Savior of the world. The Father did not send an angel. He could have, but He couldn't have been Savior. The Father had sent angels before to do other things. As a matter of fact, He sent an angel to announce the Savior. He sends angels to minister to the Savior when He was here upon the earth. But when it comes to a Savior, the Father sent the Son. Now, they, as some songs said, there wasn't confusion in heaven and God looking around to see who He was going to send. No, he, that was a plan before the foundations of the world was ever laid. He was going to send His only begotten Son into this world to be a Savior. He didn't send some inferior being. He sent the Son. He sent the second person of the divine trinity. And second doesn't mean second in class or rank. It doesn't mean that he don't have the same authority. Second is just so you and I can understand what I'm trying to say. And it's hard to even in that grain. He gave up the Son to be the Savior of the world. He sent the Son to be our atoning sacrifice. He sent the Son to suffer on the cross. He sent the Son to die. He sent the Son to be buried, to be raised, and to ascend back to heaven. He sent the Son, and one day He will send His Son again, and we will go home and be with Him forever and forever. Turn back to John chapter 4, if you will, for just a moment. John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. This is very interesting that we would find the word Savior. And I, all the verses, I, I just read you, I don't know, 10 or 11 verses that mention Savior. But John chapter 4, and go down to verse 39. Many of you, this, this is the Samaritan, many of you recognize this story. Those of you that are saved and read your Bible, those been in Sunday school and preaching most of your life. This is, this is that story where Jesus, you remember, is, is, is there at Jacob's well drawing water. You, you remember the context of this chapter and about the woman that comes to draw. You, you remember, without me spending a lot of time going into detail about this. And you remember the Samaritans. You remember Jesus really shouldn't even be in this part of the country the Samaritans are, as we 
have called it in the past or would call it back then half-breeds, mixture in race, and most people avoided them. But Jesus is there. You remember, you remember how the woman came, drunk the living water, went back into town, and remember that? She said, come see a man up in verse 29. Well, look down at verse 39 now. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him, meaning Jesus, for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. You remember she come back into town and said, This man knew about my marriages, my relationships. She knew everything about me. And many of the Samaritans believed on Christ because of her testimony. It's what it says there in that text. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him. Now remember, they've been listening to her. Now they come unto him, in verse 40. They besought him that he would tarry with them, so he stays over two more days. Now notice verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. Some believe because of her testimony. Now others are believing because they are speaking face to face with Christ. And they said to the woman in verse 42, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, look at this, the Savior of the world. These Samaritans are using theological prophecy out of the Old Testament. They are using theological language. Now, when they only heard her testify, they said, We believe that he is who you say he is. But once we've heard him speak and once we've heard his word coming from him, the incarnate word, we believe he is Savior of the world. You may be sitting here today and you look around at people you know who used to be alcoholics or used to be in immorality or you know people who used to curse and swear and they were hard to live with and now they're sitting in here worshiping God and you look at their life and you say, I know there must be something to this Christ. He must be what they say He is for the change that's been made in their life. You would be in that first group. But I want to tell you this, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who ever comes to Christ for salvation must at some point not only hear my testimony about Christ, but they must hear right from this book exactly who God is. And that's how He speaks today. And these Samaritans say, once we heard Him, we realize He didn't come just to fill water pots. He didn't come just to make adulterous women clean up. Thank God He come to cleanse me of my sin. He's the Savior of the world. The greatest problem unsaved young people and children have in this building this morning is not the threat of drugs, alcohol, fornication, and everything else. The greatest problem they have is their own sinfulness. And they may never drink a drop of liquor. They may never go out with, a, a, with some, uh, some loose individual. They may never let a swear word cross their lips. And they're just as lost as lost can be until they understand that the Father sent His Son to be Savior. What a testimony from these Samaritans. They are hearing this. They said, we believe now because... We have heard Him ourselves. Preacher, if He were to come here today and speak to me like He spoke to them, I would believe. 
Could I suggest to you that He does? Not just through me preaching. I'm not Christ, but I am His messenger. It is this book. It is not the preacher that saves your soul. It is the engrafted Word of God. It's the incorruptible seed of the Word of the living God. That's what changes a man's life. When you read this book, you are hearing God speak. He speaks through His Son. The Christmas message is still essential today for a lost world. We must testify. We sung it first. Go tell it on the mountain. We must testify. We must evangelize. We must share the good news. Yes, like this woman did. But the world must hear God's Word. And the world must be convinced of sin before they come to Christ. Do you see the connection between John 4.42 and our text in 1 John 4.14? The Samaritans said he come to be Savior of the world. And I think John probably is referring to that here when he says that he was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world, the cosmos, the sotum, sum of human life. All those who were alienated from God, he came to be their Savior. I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but you're a part of that world that He came to save. You're sitting in it right now. You're living in it right now. You are a part of it. Now, whenever you see the word world in the Bible, you have to ask yourself the question, does this mean everyone without distinction or everyone without exception? You have to ask yourself that every time you see this word world along with the word all. Well, John said Christ is the Savior of the world, meaning that Christ is Savior of everyone without distinction. When the Samaritans said what they said in John 4, that He's come to be the Savior, let me just paraphrase what they were saying. We can't believe, yet they did, that He came to be our Savior. That He came to be Savior of us half-breeds, of us mixed, us Samaritans. You, you, go to the Scriptures and find me a promise that Jesus made to Samaria. Go to the Scriptures and find me the mighty works Jesus did in Samaria. Samaritans were Samaritans. They had no hope. They had nothing. Christ came to be Savior of the world without distinction. Red, yellow, black, and white. And every other race, creed, nation... And whoever, would God, Americans, could appreciate Christ as Savior like the Samaritans did. But we're such an elite, deserving, entitled group of people here in America that we think God almost owed it to us to send His Son. May this Christmas bring us back to Samaria. Amen. And help us understand we didn't deserve any of this. We were aliens. We were lost. And God sent His Son without distinction to save us. And Christmas is a reminder that those who are the most indifferent, most unlikely to be interested in the things of God, and those who appear to be the most on the outside and are the most distant from God are not beyond the reach of the Savior who was sent by the Father to rescue us, deliver us, save us, 
and preserve us. Fanny Crosby wrote that hymn years ago, the old hymn that we've often sang in Baptist churches, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. And the history behind that story was on a snowy evening, she went over to the rescue mission to minister, and the weather was so bad, no one showed up. It was empty. And it was there with pen and paper in hand that she wrote those words, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. That's what Christ did when He sent His Son. If I were to ask you to go home today and take your Bible and find me the ugliest, filthiest story in Scripture, and read it for your Christmas story this year, you'd say, well, the, the preacher done more last Sunday than go to his home church. He lost some of his marbles while he went down there too. But I want you to understand something. You, you may pick out some ugly ones. I'm just thinking of a couple off the top of my head right now. What about, after no, what about that story after Noah and the flood and his sons went in? You, you know that story? What about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, uh, there's some stories in the Bible that are not pretty. But I want to remind you, you could read that story Christmas morning to your family and worship because that's just the ugliness Christ came to save. We look at a world and we say, oh, the world's so filthy, the world's so, the world's so wicked, and the world is so defiled. Yes, and such were some of you, Paul said to the Corinthians. And that's where we'd still be today. Now, I know some of us are above that. We'd be sitting in a three-piece suit with $200 shoes. You can go to hell with $200 shoes just like you can barefooted. It doesn't really matter. The difference is Christ. He came to be Savior without distinction. Savior means He's the provision for our predicament. You see, part of the problem that some of us are up against when we come to the story of Christmas is... We see this stuff everywhere. Christmas is the answer, or Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. We see that everywhere. And there's people standing around that, that don't even know the question. Yeah, Christ is the answer, but what good is the answer if you don't know the question? What's the human predicament? The human predicament is there's only one thing a Savior does. That's coming to save people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins. And you know what we want in America? We want Christ to save us from our economy being bad. We want Christ to save us when our health goes south. We want Christ to save us when this happens and that happens. He came to save us from our sins. Because that's the worst problem. Why are we? I mean, we live in a, we live in a culture that has cars that park themselves. We, have, we live in a culture where technology actually works with more common sense than humans do. Why haven't we come up with an answer to this? I mean, why, why, can, you, why can you put a man on the moon, bring him back? Why can, how can you put a satellite out in space that can hear you talk in your house and you, wanna, you talk about fish sticks and then automatically on your email you get coupons for it and you never ask for them? How, how can we be in a world that is so smart with, and do all those kind of things and still we can't deal with sin. Because there's only one Savior. 
and that's Jesus Christ. How come a preacher can start a Baptist church and make all the rules? You can't dip, you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't go to the movies with them that do. You can do all those things. No card playing, no rook playing. You have to wear a white shirt tie. You can't measure hemlines, hairlines. I mean, you can have every rule in the country and the thing split right down the middle. Because you have to have a Savior to save us from our sins. And that's who the Father sent. And until the Holy Spirit makes that clear to you, I could preach for 52 Sundays of the year on Christmas and it wouldn't make a lick of sense to you. But one day, it will. So what do we do as a church until it does? We do what the Samaritan woman did. We keep telling everybody who this Christ is. We keep telling them, God sent him so you could live. I ain't interested in living. I mean, I am living. I got a brand new F-250. I got a brand new house. I'm living. I'm living. No, Christ came that you might live. I I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Christ also came to atone for your sin. Man, I ain't Jewish. Don't start throwing that Hebrew junk on me. Uh, You know, I was raised here. I I don't know what you're even talking about. Christ came to be Savior of the world. Savior, I don't need rescue. Rescued from what? We keep testifying to that until one day this Word speaks to their heart. Like Jesus did to the Samaritans. And then they too will say, Christ is the Savior. And Christ alone. John said, we have seen and do testify. And we have this morning. And that's through the precious Word of God. I'm glad somebody kept telling me and kept telling me and kept telling me until one day He told me who He was through the work of the Word and the Holy Spirit of God. I pastor a church today that needs a Savior. One of the most frustrating things sometimes in pastoring is a group of people who think they need something that they don't need. Another church does something, crowds increase. We've got to have that. We've got to have that. You know, it reminds me of the story where the church was voting one night on putting in chandeliers and this old man voted against it and said, I'm against it. For two reasons, he said, we ain't got nobody to play it. And we also, number two, we need lights in this place. It's dark. You know, don't, don't understand, didn't understand the whole concept at all. Do you know what this church needs greater than anything else is a Savior. That's why we preach Christ. Because He is a Savior. And I'm not preaching just to you this morning. I'm preaching to my children. The greatest need they had when they came in this world was a need that Kim and I could not provide for them. They needed a Savior. I'm preaching to eight, well, really nine, well, eight and a half, grandkids this morning. And I'd give them anything I have. Matter of fact, I think I already have, but I'd give it again. But they need a Savior. That's what they need. Same with your family. There's husbands and wives sitting here today. Your children sitting beside you. You care for them. You work. You provide. You give them the best you can. But every day you understand 
that there's something going on in their heart that you are not going to be able to deal with. they got to have a Savior. And maybe you have children done grown and gone, and they're away from God. And what's their need? Same thing, isn't it? They need a Savior. Well, this Christmas, remember, before you ever had them, God had them covered. God had a provision for their predicament. And that predicament was He sent a Savior to a world full of sin. May we never forget the message of the angel to the shepherds when they declared, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Unless you be confused about who He is, the angel said, Which is Christ the Lord. Do you need a Savior this morning? If so, who is going to be your Savior? Some are trying to be their own Savior, trying to work it out, straighten it out. You can fix it. won't work. And then, let me just ask you this. If, if you need a Savior and Christ is your Savior, why would He want to be your Savior? Why would He want to be the Savior of something as messed up as me and you? Because that's what the Father sent him to do. And he said, I came to do the will of my Father. And my Father wanted you to have life, so I brought it to you. And my Father wanted your sins to be atoned for, so I atoned for you. And my Father wanted me to be Savior of the world. And I'm Savior to the glory of God the Father. If you need Him as your Savior this morning... Why don't you ask Him in this building today, listening by other means, when you get alone this afternoon with an open copy of God's Word, why don't you confess your sins and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and as best I understand from the preached Word of God, the only remedy for sin is a Savior. And Lord, You're the only Savior there is, for there's salvation in no other name given under heaven, whereby men must be saved. And what has He done to qualify as a Savior? He's done everything the Father required. Everything. He's left nothing undone. Father, I want to thank You this morning for sending Your Son. Lord, I want to thank You for coming. Lord, I'm thankful for He, the Holy Spirit, who done His mysterious and unseen work in us to convince us that we were in need of You and that You came, that we could have life, that we could have our sins atoned for, and that we could be saved. Thank You for that. We bless You and glorify You. And Lord, we're part of that ugly picture. We're part of the scene down there at Sodom. That's my descendants that were down there. Lord, I'm part of that ugly scene back there in the days of Lot. Lord, I'm part of that ugly scene in Corinth. And I'm part of that ugly scene, Lord, of those Gentiles that you ministered to who were unworthy of anything. Lord, my roots go back there. But Lord, you came without distinction. And you became my Savior, that I could become your son, and that I could live with you forever. 
Now help those of us who belong to you as we leave here this morning. Help us like the Samaritans, this Samaritan woman. Help us to tell who you are. And then as you and as only you can through the work of your Spirit and the Word, would you show sinners who they are and who you are so that there might be a great reconciliation and a great salvation. For every young person, every child, every babe on its mother's lap, every child in here today who don't even understand yet where they live, I pray, Father, You'd save them. I pray for every adult in here today and everyone listening that, Lord, You would save men and women, boys and girls, to the glory of God the Father. And again, we worship You and give You glory. And thank you for sending your Son. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.